Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Chapter 49 of A Tramp Abroad. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Tramp Abroad by Mark Twain. Chapter 49. Hanged with a Golden Rope. One lingers about the cathedral a good deal in Venice. There is a strong fascination about it partly because it is so old, and partly because it is so ugly. Too many of the world's famous buildings fail of one chief virtue, harmony. They are made up of a methodless mixture of the ugly and the beautiful. This is bad. It is confusing. It is unrestful. One has a sense of uneasiness, of distress, without knowing why. But one is calm before St. Mark's. One is calm within it, one would be calm on top of it, calm in the cellar, for its details are masterfully ugly, no misplaced and impertinent beauties are intruded anywhere, and the consequent result is a grand harmonious whole of soothing, entrancing, tranquilizing, soul-satisfying ugliness. One's admiration of a perfect thing always grows, never declines, and this is the surest evidence to him that it is perfect. St. Mark's is perfect. To me it soon grew to be so nobly, so augustly ugly, that it was difficult to stay away from it, even for a little while. Every time its squat domes disappeared from my view, I had a despondent feeling. Whenever they reappeared I felt an honest rapture. I have not known any happier hours than those I daily spent in front of Florian's, looking across the great square at it propped on its long row of low, thick-legged columns, its back knobbed with domes, it seemed like a vast, warty bug taking a meditative walk. St. Mark's is not the oldest building in the world, of course, but it seems the oldest, and looks the oldest, especially inside. When the ancient mosaics in its walls become damaged, they are repaired, but not altered. The grotesque old pattern is preserved antiquity has a charm of its own and to smarten it up would only damage it one day i was sitting on a red marble bench in the vestibule looking up at an ancient piece of apprentice work in mosaic illustrative of the command to multiply and replenish the earth the cathedral itself had seemed very old but this picture was illustrating a period in history which made the building seem young by comparison but I presently found an antique which was older than either the battered cathedral or the date assigned to the piece of history. It was a spiral-shaped fossil as large as the crown of a hat. It was embedded in the marble bench, and had been sat upon by tourists 
until it was worn smooth. Contrasted with the inconceivable antiquity of this modest fossil, those other things were flippantly modern, jejune, mere matters of day before yesterday. The sense of the oldness of the cathedral vanished away under the influence of this truly venerable presence. St. Mark's is monumental. It is an imperishable remembrancer of the profound and simple piety of the Middle Ages. Whoever could ravish a column from a pagan temple did it and contributed his swag to this Christian one. So this fane is upheld by several hundred acquisitions procured in that peculiar way. In our day it would be immoral to go on the highway to get bricks for a church, but it was no sin in the old times. St. Mark's was itself the victim of a curious robbery once. The thing is set down in the history of Venice, but it might be smuggled into the Arabian Nights and not seem out of place there. Nearly four hundred and fifty years ago a Candian named Stamato, in the suite of a prince of the house of Este, was allowed to view the riches of St. Mark's. His sinful eye was dazzled, and he hid himself behind an altar with an evil purpose in his heart, but a priest discovered him and turned him out. Afterward he got in again, by false keys this time. He went there night after night, and worked hard and patiently all alone, overcoming difficulty after difficulty with his toil, and at last succeeded in removing a great brick of the marble paneling which walled the lower part of the treasury. This block he fixed so that he could take it out and put it in at will. After that, for weeks, he spent all his midnights in his magnificent mine, inspecting it in security, gloating over its marvels at his leisure, and always slipping back to his obscure lodgings before dawn, with a duke's ransom under his cloak. He did not need to grab, haphazard, and run. There was no hurry. He could make deliberate and well-considered selections. He could consult his aesthetic tastes. One comprehends how undisturbed he was, and how safe from any danger of interruption, when it is stated that he even carried off a unicorn's horn, a mere curiosity, which would not pass through the egress entire, but had to be sawn in two, a bit of work which cost him hours of tedious labor. He continued to store up his treasure at home until his occupation lost the charm of novelty and became monotonous. Then he ceased from it, contented. Well he might be, for his collection, raised to modern values, represented nearly fifty million dollars. He could have gone home much the richest citizen of his country, and it might have been years before the plunder was missed. But he was human, he could not enjoy his delight alone he must have somebody to talk about it with. So he exacted a solemn oath from a Candian noble named Crioni, then led him to his lodgings, and nearly took his breath away with the sight of his glittering hoard. He detected a look in his friend's face which excited his suspicion, and was about to slip a stiletto into him when Crioni saved himself by explaining that that look was only an expression of supreme and happy astonishment. Stamato made Crioni a present of one of the state's principal jewels, a huge carbuncle, which afterward figured in the ducal cap of state, and the pair parted. Crioni went at once to the palace, denounced the criminal, and handed over the carbuncle as evidence. Stamato was arrested, tried, and condemned, with the old-time Venetian promptness. He was hanged between the two great columns in the piazza, with a gilded rope out of the compliment to his love of gold, perhaps. He got no good of his booty at all. It was all recovered. 
in venice we had a luxury which very seldom fell to our lot on the continent a home dinner with a private family if one could always stop with private families when traveling europe would have a charm which it now lacks as it is one must live in the hotels of course and that is a sorrowful business a man accustomed to american food and american domestic cookery would not starve to death suddenly in europe but i think he would gradually waste away and eventually die he would have to do without his accustomed morning meal that is too formidable a change altogether he would necessarily suffer from it he could get the shadow the sham the base counterfeit of that meal but it would do him no good and money could not buy the reality to particularize the average american's simplest and commonest form of breakfast consists of coffee and beefsteak well in europe coffee is an unknown beverage you can get what the european hotel keeper thinks is coffee but it resembles the real thing as hypocrisy resembles holiness it is a feeble characterless uninspiring sort of stuff and almost as undrinkable as if it had been made in an american hotel the milk used for it is what the french call christian milk milk which has been baptized after a few months acquaintance with european coffee one's mind weakens and his faith with it and he begins to wonder if the rich beverage of home with its clotted layer of yellow cream on top of it is not a mere dream after all and a thing which never existed next comes the european bread fair enough good enough after a fashion but cold cold and tough and unsympathetic and never any change never any variety always the same tiresome thing next the butter the sham and tasteless butter no salt in it and made of goodness knows what then there is the beefsteak they have it in europe but they don't know how to cook it neither will they cut it right it comes on the table in a small round pewter platter it lies in the center of this platter in a bordering bed of grease-soaked potatoes it is the size shape and thickness of a man's hand with the thumb and fingers cut off it is a little overdone is rather dry it tastes pretty insipidly it rouses no enthusiasm imagine a poor exile contemplating that inert thing and imagine an angel suddenly sweeping down out of a better land and setting before him a mighty porterhouse steak an inch and a half thick hot and sputtering from the griddle dusted with a fragrant pepper enriched with little melting bits of butter of the most unimpeachable freshness and genuineness the precious juices of the meat trickling out and joining the gravy archipelagoed with mushrooms 